Let us now go to the word. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them out off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Again, however, when the son of man comes, will he find faith? Once again, however, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? the earth. Amen. And one more verse, John chapter eight, verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and now am here. I am not, I have not come on my own, but he sent me. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Amen. God is the self-existent God. 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 Exodus 3.14, um, the voice from the burning bush spoke to Moses in response to Moses as asking, what is your name? Who do I say has sent me uh, to them? And the voice said, I am that I am. I am who I am. And that I am means uh, the self-existent one, the one who exists. So God is the self-existent God because from the beginning, he existed on his own. In other words, he alone is the uncreated. So he alone is the uncreated for he is the creator of all. Do you believe in the creator God? Do you believe that God created all things? What makes him the creator is that he is the uncreated one. Everything else was made by him, through him, and for him. So from the beginning, he is, this, uh, he is self-existent. And a step further, what it means, or a deeper uh, meaning, is that because he's a self-existent God, he hates, yes, God hates those who flatter themselves. He hates those who flatter themselves. Psalm 36, verse 2 says, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sins. Psalm 94, verse 4 says, They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. So, for God is the self-existent one. He hates those who flatter themselves, who boast themselves, who are arrogant, who are about themselves. Yet, he shows mercy on those who turn back to him, who come back to him, who return to him. He shows his mercy. So faith means believing in this God who is the self-existent one, therefore surrendering before him. Like those beautiful words in the song, I prostrate before you because you are the holy God, the almighty, the king of kings. All those words, raising him up, lifting him up and 
I mean, he's already raised. He's already exalted. He already is the most high. But by expressing these, uh, using these words that express who he is, where he's at, uh, reminds us that we are the lowly beings and we are humbled and we are surrendered before him. So faith means to acknowledge that God is the self-existent and therefore I I am existing because of him. I need to surrender living on my own. I need to surrender uh, being on my own. So it's giving up. It's surrendering to live on one's own. That is not to say, however, uh, give up your life as an end your life. It's not about suicide. Uh, It means rather to not live by yourself, uh, by your own will. So faith life then is to make God my only strength. My strength, my source of help. Source of strength, Psalm 52, verse 7 says, He alone is my stronghold. He alone is my strength. He alone is my life. It is to live like that, trusting him. That's what faith life is about. Amen? Yeah. I know, it's really um, to say, give up living on your own. Surrender living on your own is really going against the trend of the world. What the world... What, what is trending in the world back then and now uh, is humans being encouraged to live on their own. Right? As um, parenting uh, you know, brings us this kind of experience where you have a tiny little life, baby coming out, infant coming out, totally dependent on the mom to, for milk, you know, if, if she's breastfeeding, or just parent um, caring for the baby uh, to be fed and to be warm and to be clean and to be um, taken care of. So when baby comes out of the uh, the mother's body, she is completely dependent on um, the parent uh, and the parents um, to survive. But as the child develops, um, you know, they they get um, weaned off and then they go through the physical a development, and they have to then get potty trained. Um, you, you know, you all went through potty training, right? I know you all think like you're so so great and everything, but back in the day, you all lived in your diapers. Hello, yeah, and you all had accidents too. Yeah, let's let me remind you about that. So if you think you're so great, go back to where you come from, which is in your diaper. Yes. Um, so you um, you become independent once you don't need the diaper. You're set free from the diaper. Say goodbye. Um, and yeah, it's just like a blur now for us. It's like, I remember it was such a big deal. Like, when do we start? How do we do this? And we are looking at the book and asking people, but, and then trial and error. It's like, oh no, I remember a mom used to, uh, sharing a story that she had a toddler, but she had a white carpet. I don't know what, how those two exist, but, um, and she, she had, some people have their children running around with no underwear while they're potty training. And then I remember her telling us the story. It's just like, she saw her child squat down for number two and she went like a, Almost like a, I don't know, is there a football player or a basketball player? Just like sliding and then catching and save the, save the rug, save the rug. Um, so it's like that kind of effort that one has to make um, to help the child become independent. Um, I know Erin does not like it when I talk about her, but when she went to um, 
<laughs> just daycare. Daycare was great. We had a really great experience. It was a Moncler State Children program. We, we, we sent her there. And um, once they were, she was potty trained, they kept asking her. They have a toilet like in the open area. But it's a separate room, but it's, it doesn't have a stall or anything so they can watch the child and their toddlers. And then they would always teach like, do you need privacy? Do you need privacy? So I think one time, one time Aaron was at, at church and then one of the school teachers, Sunday school teacher, took her to the bathroom. And then she had said, I need privacy. <laughs> And then the teacher came up to me like, Aaron asked us about privacy. I've never heard that. I'm like, me neither. I don't know. They taught her about privacy. So having privacy is like independence. Like, I need privacy. So I need my space. Um, so that's what child development um, is about. So people are praised when they become independent and when they become um, self-reliant. So that's a big word, self-reliant. Um, then you hear about people who are self-made um, people, right? So these are entrepreneurs and business owners and successful people who get to write the New York Times bestseller self-help book or autobiography or memoir um, talking about themselves. Like they really pulled themselves up by their own bootstrap and they really helped themselves to come from nothing to become someone, you know, racks to riches, uh, sort of like a fairy tale story of success. Um, and these are sort of the self-made types. Even if um, there are individuals who don't get to write these books or go on TVs and, and give interviews, there are are many people who are like that. Um, so they're very strong on relying themselves, relying on themselves and nobody else. They trust themselves. So trust yourself. Believe in yourself. Be, de- be independent. Um, so they are praised in the world. And that is what um, parenting and education is about. To make our young pe- children become young adults and that become independent. Um, but the flip side of that is when you go extreme and become this sort of successful self-reliant, I don't trust nobody but myself. There's no one else but me. And these people then become highly unlikely to uh, become believers. Because to become a believer of God, a believer in the Bible, a believer of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is to surrender, is to give up. Uh, living on your own. And I remember visiting um, Serbia first time. I think it was like 2008 or seven or something like that. And I was um, there for a seminar or logos. But um, there was war there. Um, and uh, U.S. The NATO got involved and U.S. got involved and, and so on. So the war was very fresh in their mind. They were very poor. And the place was very um, dark. Like there's, they still were going through the trauma of, 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 of the war. And they were telling me in the church, it was very hard to evangelize men and to bring men into the church because they had, because coming out of war and the war was just um, so traumatic for everyone. It was the Serbs against the Bosnians. There was ethnic cleansing of the Bosnians' genocide. So um, although I was in the Serbian side, everyone got affected equally. And I think especially for men. Um, so this sort of sense of heightened sense of masculinity uh, and then like losing the um, war and then they were obviously, um, the war was, you know, against the Serbs of committing um, atrocities against the Bosnians and genocide. So they had this sort of like feeling of like they're not fit, uh, fit to that sort of ideal. So come to church meant like raising arms and saying king to someone else. And surrendering. And this notion just didn't sit right. Or it was not comfortable. Especially for the men. I remember being explained by one of the Christians there. Um, So I mean certainly there are many other things. But culturally and historically. Socially at the time. That was their 
uh, understanding. So coming to church and, and being a believer of Christ, believer of the word of God in the Bible, uh, we associate with surrendering to God and even praising we lift up our hands. And living, uh, lifting up hands is to surrender. So and when somebody is extremely self-reliant and really um, raised in this notion and culture of being, believing in yourself and trusting yourself and nobody else, to translate and, or convert that into believe in God, surrender before your God, becomes a challenge. But what the Bible shows us is that being a believer is to believe in the the self-existent God. That there is no one else who exists on his own but God. That he alone is the uncreated God, uncreated one, and I have been created by him. Therefore, when I have that confession, I'm left to do nothing else but, or the only thing that's left for me to do is to come on my knees and surrender. That's what faith is. That's what a believer is. Why is this important? Let's go to um, Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, a morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once lay low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave. To the depths of the pit. So here, you, 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 uh, I there is um, the Lord God speaking to you, a creature. And specifically, this is an angel, archangel made to serve God in the spiritual heaven. He was made beautifully talented. Um, He was made, Ezekiel 28 explains that uh, further. But because of his beauty and his talent, he became proud and said, I want to make myself like the most high. I want to be above the stars of God. I, 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 right? It's very strong. And this free will, the intention of the self and said, I will make myself like the most high. Like that's like the, bah, 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 that's the climax. And then what happened? Flipping him and saying, you are brought down to the grave, to the depth of the pit. That's the consequence of your challenge against the self-existent God. So this is speaking of an angel who was once called Luciel, but after this rebellion, he is called Lucifer, also known as Satan. So can we say those three titles? Luciel, Lucifer, Satan, a.k.a. the devil. That's right. So same person, but in the spiritual heaven, uh, when he rebels against God, he is called Satan because uh, ho satanas in Greek means uh, an adversary or an enemy. Right, specifically enemy of God. But let's go ahead, look at John uh, Jude 1.6, explaining this, um, what happened. Um, a different way, slightly different way, but it gives us better understanding here. Jude is right before Revelation. You already know that though, yes? Right, okay, Jude 1.6. I forgot who I was speaking to. Yes, Jude 1.6. And the angels who did not keep their possessions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These, yes, kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So now, that's more specific, speaking about angels, same as what we have read in Isaiah 14. These angels who did not keep their positions, what was their position? To serve God, to serve God humbly. But because they did not do it and they walked off from their, walked off from their position, walked away from their proper position... And then they went on their own. So own, on their own, themselves. That's the highlight. That's the key word for today, right? The self-existent God and then the opposite. The creatures were made by him when they want to do on their own. And that's exactly what happened with Satan and his following angels. They abandoned their own home, meaning their own positions of authority. They walked off their job and they 
threw in the towel and said, I'm not doing this anymore. We're going to follow uh, ourselves or rather follow Satan. That's what happened. Satan said, I'm going to pursue my own dream. I'm going to go after what I want, which is to be like God, the creator. And these other angels followed him as a result. As a result, however, nothing good happened. They were cast down into uh, Sheol in Hebrew or Hades, Hohades, which is um, Greek. That's referring to the material heaven where we call home, the universe. So they became the fallen angels contained in the universe where we are today. So it is in the same space that um, Adam was made. Adam, who is the ancestor of all mankind, when I was talking about the flesh and blood alone, but the spirit. When God breathed into that man, that man became a living being, a spiritual being. He's the ancestor of all men. So when he became spiritual being, we all became spiritual being. So I, you, all of us have inherited the spirit of Adam. So this Adam lived in the Garden of Eden, and that's where he was tempted by that fallen angel. He appeared as a serpent, a snake, and he spoke to the woman, Eve, who would then carry that same message to Adam, which was to take the forbidden fruit which is really about disobeying the word of God that was given to them as command. Do not eat from this one tree, because if you eat of it, you will surely die. You will certainly die, speaking to the spirit. But Adam was deceived because he said, oh, you're not going to, even though God said you will surely die, uh, the snake said, you will not surely die. Instead, you will be like God. Remember to God. He's the self-existent one from the beginning. He's the uncreated. He is the boss. He is number one. You could be like him. The same lie that he told himself, Satan, now as snake, now doing the work of separating men from God as the devil, spoke those words and Adam was deceived. As a result, instead of becoming like God, sin entered the spirit. What entered the spirit? Yes. And the result of sin is what? Death. Yes. And we're not talking about physical death. Physical death, it's going to happen anyway. In addition to that, there was another death to be had as a result of sin. That's called spiritual death. Where is this going to happen? In a place called? A place called? Hell. That's right. Matthew 25, 41. Eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. All men became hell bound with the devil, Satan, who wanted to be like God. Describing this in Job 18.7, it says his own schemes throw him down. His own schemes. So this is talking about the tendency of the creature since then. Thanks to Satan, the origin of sin, who tempted our ancestor Adam to also commit the same sin. All men coming after Adam have the same tendency, the same uh, propensity to get tricked by ourselves. Tricking ourselves, deceiving ourselves that we can be on our own. We can live on our own. Be by ourselves, uh, be that way, and go our own way. Because that is the result of sin. So sin, again, is the, the definition of sin is a creature wanting to live on its own. That's sin. What is it? Can you tell your neighbor what the definition of sin is? One, one person asks, the other answers. Who got it right? Who got it right? Bless that friend. Bless that brother if they got it right. If they got wrong, pray for them. Yes, pray for them. Yes. So sin is what? Creature. Wanting to live on his own, on its own. Creature attempting to live on its own is the definition of sin. Because by definition, creature means, creature must, creature means he or she must live by, through, with the creator. Because I am not, I'm not the uncreated one. I am rather a created one. I need the creator. 
Am I the only one? Do you need a creator? Do you need God, the self-existent one, the only self-existent one? Well, you have to listen out if you don't know. So the idea of um, by oneself, uh, for oneself, on one's own, right? These are repeated throughout the Bible. So when one is acting by himself and for himself and doing on his own, going his own way, it is actually uh, the attempt of the created one to comfort himself. I'm going to comfort myself. I'm going to help myself. I'm going to... um, be all about myself, which is the definition of conceited, right? Being conceited, and it is to fall into one's own schemes. These are my schemes, and I'm going to fall into them. Uh, and then, what's the result? Nothing good. What the Bible shows is this destruction. It's actually destruction to fall into your own schemes. So, self-flattering, as I had mentioned before, which is to be arrogant and full of boasting, um, and because one is flattering oneself and full of boasting, they don't listen to anyone else because they're listening to themselves. They're the audience. They're the best audience for themselves. They're the speaker and the audience, and they're fine with that. It's all about me. And then you bring it to sort of more religious context or even in the context of the Bible, self-righteous, right? So then uh, those who consider themselves to be righteous, therefore need no help from God. They are okay saving themselves. So all these um, uh, cases uh, were shown as the object of God's hatred. Yes, God only not, God, God not only loves, and he is love, but he also hates. As you read through the Old Testament, God is a scary God in the Old Testament, isn't it? I'm like, mm, yes, I, I don't, I don't want to be the object of his hatred. It's pretty scary what, what, what was done to people um, who rebelled against God and whom God hated. They are those who are full of themselves, and they were then punished by self-destruction. So they basically dug themselves their own graves. So hellfire, yes, hellfire, real place, is the place where the self-confident, the conceited, the self-flattering cannot save themselves. Isaiah 47, 14 says, Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. They are not coals for warmth this is not a fire to sit by not my words i just added my accent in there these are words of god through the prophet of uh, prophet isaiah and these are those who say themselves i will be vindicated i'm righteous job 13 18 deuteronomy 29 19 says they invoke a blessing on themselves thinking i will be safe even though i persist in going my own way i'll be fine that's what they tell, them, tell themselves. They will bring disaster on the water, water land as well as the dry. So they will bring on disaster on themselves and in their environment as a result of their thinking. This is, again, the tendency after our ancestor's sin. But God began his work by calling on Moses, uh, calling the people of Israel through Moses um, to reveal himself as the self-existent God. So he called Moses from the burning bush and said his name is I am. What is it? I am. What kind of name is that? Because it's the only name that says the self-existing God, Yahweh, uh, in Hebrew, but we know that it's Jehovah. So Jehovah means I am, and I am means the self-existent. Three names, ready? Jehovah, I am, the self-existent. Jehovah, I am, the self-existent, yes. So it is I am, the self-existent, who sent Moses um, 
back to Egypt to bring the people of Israel out to make them the people of God. And he did everything uh, according to God's instruction. And because he did that faithfully, he was able to fulfill this massive project called the Exodus of about 2 million people who had been dwelling there for generations, about 430 years. So he was able to bring them out overnight and bring them into the desert where they had uh, followed, the people had followed Moses uh, for 40 years with the promise that they will enter the promised land. It was in the desert. They were uh, given the law, the Ten Commandments. And number one commandment is what? There is... You will have no other God but the Lord God. You shall serve no other God but the Lord God. Because the Lord God alone is who? The self-existent. What's his name in the Old Testament? Jehovah. So no other God. So that was the law. There was another case um, where, um, so with with that understanding, then we can understand the, uh, the event or incident that happened in Numbers chapter 16. So, you all read that too, right? Yeah? Okay. So what happened in Numbers 16? There were some Levites. Now, who are the Levites? That was one of the tribe, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Who were, who were the people who were selected from the Levites? Trivia? What? The, what first, what did they do? Priests. They were priests, right? So they were priests. The priesthood was chosen from, from the Levites. But not all Levites were chosen to serve God, right? So this is uh, where... A group of men, uh, one, one man named Korah uh, and his sons and 250 of them kind of like, if you will, ganged up against Moses and Aaron and said, who made you the leader of us all? We are also descendants of Levi. Why is that only you guys get to carry the incense and into the holy place and you are the holy priest and we're not? So they said, you know what? We're going to make ourselves priests as well. So they began to rebel against Moses uh, and Aaron uh, and that's when Moses had, had told them, because this is what God told them, to bring their incense. Everybody bring their incense uh, and coal inside and, and see who's going to be accepted, right, basically. So what happens after that? Good hap- something good is about to happen? No, something terrible is about to happen. And it is scary because the description is uh, bring Korah and his um, sons and their wives and their children and even the, even the, little ones i'm almost like imagining little children screaming in in that site it is frightening right because what happens after that is that they um the lord was very angry and he had told the uh told moses and 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 aaron and and the people to distance and social distancing distance themselves from korah stay away go far away from korah and his group because i'm going to get rid of them why isn't god loving yes but he is also the self-existent one. Anyone who challenges that, he will not tolerate. So these people who challenge the authority of God, God made it very physical, very immediate and material right there by having the earth open up and swallowing all those people and all their belongings too, instantly. And the earth closed back up. Wow, can, can you imagine the sight? And obviously and there was other people who were left and they were then um, uh, burned down with the fire. That I'm so glad I wasn't there because I realized like if I had been there, I might have been like, yay, Cora, go Cora. I was thinking, I'm thinking like, would I have been quiet and be like, yes, Moses? And I'd be like, right, I'm going to go after Cora. Why just you? And I'd be, yeah, I'm so grateful. So for many reasons that I was not around then for one, yes. Um, but yeah, it was not a laughing matter for them. It was frightening. 
So the law that had warned them about no, uh, having no other God but the Lord God, who alone is self-existent, also commanded them, very interestingly, in Leviticus 25, 11, to not sow, to not reap what grows of itself. So anything that grows by itself, you don't sow it, you don't reap. Also in Deuteronomy 14, 21, do not eat anything you find already dead. So it's like, oh my God, somebody already kicked the, killed a pig for me. So I just need to pick it up and then roast it up. They're not supposed to eat pigs anyway. So maybe it was like sheep or something, you know, that's like dead on the road. Roadkill? It's like, oh, someone already did the hunting for me. Let me take it home. You're not to eat anything that's already dead on its own. And you're to rather give it away. So they are given commandments about warning about things that go on their own or, or do things on their own to stay away from such. To remind them as the sanctuary stood in their midst with the name of Jehovah, that he alone is a self-existing God and that they are his people, they were uh, made by him. So that was a reminder. And there certainly there was a stone tablet inside the sanctuary that also reminded that. So the history of Israel is really the showcase, making showcase for those who went on their own, did things on their own, that they were then destroyed as a result of that. So in Nehemiah 9.14 describes the people of Israel who by themselves appointed a leader to return to Egypt. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. Stiff-necked is not like, oh yeah, I have a neck pain because I'm always working in front of the computer. It's not that. Stiff-necked is proud. They're proud, boastful, arrogant, conceited. They do not humble themselves. So these are stiff-necked, proud people. Because of their pride and their rebellion, they appointed their own leader, not Moses, and said, lead us back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery because we can't stand here anymore. As a result of their rebellion, they were destroyed. They were put to death. Uh, There's another um, showcase, uh, the story of Gehazi. Gehazi, do you guys remember him? He was a servant of a prophet named Elisha. There you go, Elisha's servant was Gehazi, Gehazi, and Gehazi was a good guy or bad guy? Matt, where are you? You did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then you, yeah, you are killed, right? right? We were talking about, that. basically the Old Testament is like, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, and then he got killed, yes. So Gehazi was one of those. So he, um, his uh, master, um, the prophet Elijah, had healed uh, Naaman, who was an Aramean general, basically. And he was um, very grateful, so he wanted to give gift to say thank you for it. But Elisha refused. And then he went away. But Gehazi said, my master is like not thinking. Hello, why waste all the good stuff he's about to give? He deserves it. So he actually goes after Naaman as he's going back to his home and says, hello, hello. And, and, and the general says, oh, well, what's going on? Do you need something? Is something wrong? He's like, oh, my master changes mind, basically. So whatever, you know, for your servants here, give us some um, change of money or clothes. And, and Naaman says, sure, here, here, take the stuff. So he's doing all this by himself, becoming master of himself. And when he comes back, that's when Elisha lays on him and said, didn't you know the spirit of God was there when you did such thing? And what happens to this guy? Remember Naaman, what he was healed of? He was healed of leprosy. And guess where that leprosy went to? To Gehazi. Gehazi says, it says in uh, 2 Kings 5.27, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Wow. And at that moment, he turned as white. As snow, like leper, in leprosy, he was uh, suffering. 
So that was a case where you try to be doing on your own. That's what happens. Jeroboam was another case in uh, a little bit earlier in First King chapter thirteen. He actually led the rebellion of Israel, the ten tribes, to go up to the north to separate from Judah, um, um, the kingdom of Judah. So the kingdom of one one kingdom, uh, United uh, Kingdom, splits into two, and Jeroboam leads the rebellion of Israel and sets up this northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and that's where he sets up his, um, so setting up his own kingdom, setting up his own priests, uh, and setting up uh, his own uh, high place where these priests will serve, uh, and also had idols of calves. So they actually had idols, and they had their own feasts, to celebrate festivals. And um, the way it's described in 1 King 13, uh, 33, 34, is that anyone who volunteered, who wanted to be priests, Jeroboam allowed. So this was going all against what God had been instilling in the people of Israel for generations, and there he was doing his own thing. And in the end, what happens? Um, it says, they were led to um, Jeroboam, the house of Jeroboam. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. All these show, these examples show, as Proverbs 29, verse 6 says, evil doers are snared by their own sin. Daniel, Daniel 5, 20 says, those whose hearts are arrogant and hardened with pride in themselves are destroyed. Are we getting message? Yeah, are we getting the message? Yes, it's repeated over and over. And finally, then we read about um, Job um, in his book, which is basically Job was a very righteous man who was tested by God. I mean, obviously, the devil is the one who's bringing on the test, but God allows that. But for 40, um, 41 chapters, and you're going like, already, oh, just say you're sorry, man. It's like, I need to get through this. I need to get through this. I got to finish the Bible. But for 41 chapters, he doesn't. I will be vindicated. I will come out as, and I'll be proven as righteous. I will not sin. I will not complain. I will not do any of this. But in the end, ultimately, in the last chapter, chapter 42, when God had said in the previous chapter, um, I'm the creator. I could do all this. You cannot do any of that because I'm the self-existent one. And that's when Job realizes that, it says in, in chapter 42, verse 5, My ears has heard of you, and now my eyes has seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So when he realizes he's only just a sinner before the perfect God, just a creature worth nothing, all the curse that had fallen on him, all the t- suffering that he was enduring, had stopped. And all that had now that converted back to even greater blessing. So what's the lesson from that? It is not to insist on your righteousness, but to surrender it. Before the self-existent one, no one is righteous. No one can be independent. No one can be on his own. So do not think you're righteous, that you could live on your own was the message. The temple was in the midst of the people to remind this for generations. And it was in front of that very temple, the temple of Jerusalem, that the son of God, Yeshua, Jesus, said, what? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So he was saying, destroy the temple. People heard it as destroying the building, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So the temple of his body will be destroyed. But in three days, again, about his death in three days after his death, he will be raised back to life. And then he's going to show that the name of the self-existent God is not Jehovah deliver through the angel only to the people of Israel. But now through his death and his resurrection, he's going to reveal the name of the self-existing God is the one who came from God, who spoke the word of God, the father, and his name is Yeshua. Hallelujah. What's his name? That's the name of which God? The self-existent 
God, the Father's name of Yeshua. And what is he going to do in that process? He's going to save those who know themselves, who confess themselves as not righteous, but sinners. For he said in Luke 5, um, 31 to 32, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but, but sinners to do what? To repent. I have not called, come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repent so that he will heal them. He will cleanse them and save them. Hallelujah. So it is not those who claim themselves to be righteous like Job tried to do or the Pharisees at the time. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were these Jewish leaders at the time uh, of Yeshua, but they, they actually emerged in the 400 years before um, the appearance of Yeshua. So they, they were um, present in the time called the Dark Age of Israel where there was no prophet. These were um, the men who actually led this movement to become righteous on their own because they feared to be found without righteousness because they understood the story of they remember the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah we remember the conversation God had with Abraham God was at, uh, saying that if I can find 50 righteous men I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah but were there 50 righteous men or even 10 so like they start going down 5 50 40 to, to, to 20 to 10 and then no more, because not even 10, not even five, not even one was there righteous. I mean, certainly there was Lot uh, who was saved, but there was no one, therefore couldn't stop the destruction. So the people uh, of Israel were afraid of the judgment of God when they didn't have prophet. So the Pharisees were those who took on themselves uh, this responsibility to lead the people to righteousness by upholding the law of Moses, but adding more, especially regarding the Sabbath. So they, um, they police the people and they enforce the additional amendments about regarding sab- about the Sabbath as well as fasting. So these guys are like supermen, superheroes at the time. They were fasting one... Fasting? Do I need to remind you about the pains of fasting? <laughs> but these guys were fasting like once a week, like no problem, not at all. Yeah, and they were keeping the law. So these were sort of the perfect men because they were self-righteous. They said, we don't have anything to uh, be afraid because we're keeping the law. And we are responsible to make the, sure other people are keeping the law. So that's why he was saying, I did not come to call the righteous who consider themselves as righteous, but I've come to call the sinners of the world who confess themselves as sinners to repent so they be saved. Is this good news for us? Amen. To return the, uh, for, uh, for sinners to repent and return to God. That's what he would do. And this is why um, Yeshua clashed with the Pharisees at the time, uh, regard, especially regarding food, like when they were supposed to eat and how they were eating and about Sabbath, um, because the Pharisees were always there to accuse Yeshua for breaking um, the law. But he rebuked them. Yeshua rebuked them for being hypocrites. For being what? Hypocrites. Because he even called them whitewashed tombs. You know, you can paint the tomb white and make it clean and beautiful and shiny. But is it clean and shiny and beautiful? No. Inside tomb is what? Rotting bodies. It's dead. It's disgusting. It's trash. And that's what he called the Pharisees. You guys are acting like you're all perfect and righteous on the outside. But inside, you are riddled and filled with sin. You are so sinful and you don't even know it. You don't even admit it. You don't even know it. You don't even confess it. And comparing that or contrasting that issue himself... Never did anything on his own. Never said anything on his own. As we began the sermon in John eight forty two, 
If God were your father, you would love me for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. So he was speaking many, many times of being sent. Being sent, being sent. He was sent by God. He was sent by God the Father. And John 5, um, 30 says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Him who what? Sent me. As John seventeen three says, the eternal life is this, that they may know the one true God and the son whom he sent, sent, sent. So if you're sent, you do according to the sender. That's the difference. You don't do on your own. You don't do anything to please yourself. You don't say anything to please yourself, to boast yourself. But who is he that that is such a big deal? Go to John 1, 1 quickly. John 1, 1. With all this in mind, let's look at John 1, 1. Every time you look at it, it should be deeper and greater as you understand who Yeshua is. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the one who was with God in the beginning, the one who was God, referring to his nature, is the word. And the word there is not sound, but a person who was with God. So it's a, where it says the word was God does not mean there are two gods. There's only one God. But this one God decided to manifest himself, reveal himself, and that manifesting himself he would do it as the word. He would be revealed as the word. That part of God is called the word in eternity, in the beginning. And that word became what in verse 14? Tells us the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If he came from Father, what do you call him? He is the Son. That's why I called him the Son. Not because biologically he had an older person who gave birth to him. It's not that. He comes out of the Father, he is called the Son. When he's with the Father, what is he called? The Word. Oh, I love it. I love it. So what, is, what, do you, what do you call him when he's with the Father? The Word. In the beginning. When the Word becomes flesh, coming out of the Father, as he called himself, what is he called? The Son. Hallelujah. The Son of God, the Son of Man. Amen. So he is speaking of being sent by the Father God. And that is in contrast with in, um, in terms of someone else who was in the universe, the spiritual being who was ruling the world as the prince of the world, the origin of sin, a.k.a. Satan. Satan was also in the world when Yeshua came. Remember, in Matthew 4, he, he was um, led into, to be t- tested by the tempter, the devil, Satan. Now, Satan wasn't there. He was there not because he was sent, but he was actually kicked out. Kicked out of the spiritual heaven, contained here, to be later on punished as this place turned into hellfire. But here's Yeshua being sent as a son. He, he is the word who came, who became man, and he became man to do the will of him who sent him. And that will was, as he said in John 10, 17, 18, to lay down his life willingly. John 10, let's go there. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. It says, I laid down of my own accord. Another way, another way of saying this, I laid down willingly. No one is forcing me, but I'm doing it on my own. 
So he is doing something on his own. But the only thing that he did on his own, the limit to what he did on his own, was according to the word of the father who sent him. So the father gave him the command to lay down his life and do it willingly in the beginning. As the word with God, he, gave, he was given this command. When he became flesh, he came to the world that he himself made. The self-existent one being made like a creature. He was bound in the principle of creation. Like a creature, he came and he's going to follow the principle of creation. Of creation of creatures. Which was to follow the command of the father and lay down his life willingly his own accord. So that's why when men came to arrest him, he did not defend himself. He did not perform any miracles. He did not practice his power. But he went like a sheep, surrendering, like a silent sheep. And he died on the cross. But when he died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. That was the moment that he was accomplishing the will of the Father that sent him. And he was doing it willingly. Again, it's not suicide, but it was according to the Father's will. He had the choice not to, but he used his will to surrender. So he surrendered his life willingly, laying it down. Laying it down. So Philippians chapter 2, 6 um, uh, describes that he's the very nature God. Though he's the very nature God, he submitted to the Father's command, willingly becoming nothing. Willingly um, being humbled, lowering himself to the point of death on a cross. Because this is the way to please God. This is the way to acknowledge the Father alone is the self-existent one. Hallelujah. Who is the one who challenged the self-existent God in the spiritual heaven? It was? It was? Satan, the creature, who was contained in here. Yeshua is not a creature. Who is he? He is? The word was God. Yeshua is God, the self-existent God. Amen. But when he became flesh, he came like man. He became like creature. He became like a created one. And the way that he was going to fulfill the Father's will was to surrender and do that willingly. Give up. Give up. Lay down. Surrender. The most precious thing that is his life. And by doing so, Remember, it's not like us, because we are already creatures, guys. We are already sinners. Our life is worth nothing. But the life of Yeshua is the life of God. The most precious life of God. The perfect life of God. Yet he laid it down. He became nothing and surrendered and said, I am nothing. You are everything. You alone are the self-existing God. Father, may you be glory through this death. Through this submission to your word. Hallelujah. So in that submission, he condemned finally the creature who challenged the self-existing God. That is Satan, the devil. So the one who left his proper position on his own, walked off on his own, helping himself, pleasing himself. He condemned him once for all. Now the judgment is made. Only time, little time is waiting and left for him to be punished. And through his death, that was about willingly humbling himself, lowering himself. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. So he laid down his life and paid the penalty, the price of sin, and broke the yoke, the chains to sin and death. Hallelujah. 
How many of you believe that he broke the chains for you? Do you believe that? Amen. I'm so tired right now. I'm so tired from reading the Bible last night. Come on. Is that right? Does that make sense? If you read the Bible too late at night, you'll be saying, Amen. Hallelujah. He shed his precious blood for whosoever to drink, to live, and therefore make him to be their strength later on. That's what he accomplished when he died as he became a ransom, atoning sacrifice for all men. And he died. Perfect death, total death. But in three days, as he, ra- he, as he prophesied, he was raised back to life. Now, how, did he, how was he raised back to life? Was he on a timer? Oh, gosh. Now I'm back. Hey, guys, I'm back. But is that how it happened? His resurrection. How did it happen? In Acts, it says many, many times, like in 1334, God raised him from the dead. Who raised him? Who is God raised him. God raised him from the dead. The Father God raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. The Father God raised him. Father God took him up to heaven. Acts 1 9 says he was taken up. Taken up. He didn't go like, let me go up. It didn't, that's not how it happened. The Father raised him from the dead. The Father took him up. And then the Father let him sit down on the throne that was prepared for him. Where the son, Yeshua, now as the king of kings. The king of kings, he reigns forever and ever as the one who lives on his own forever and ever. Do you believe that? Do you believe that king? He is the model of the creation who has not done anything on his own, never said anything on his own. He did everything according to the father's way, father's will, father's word. So he showed the reward of not doing on your own. So again, this is all, you're going, maybe you're going like, I'm confused. The world tells me to believe in myself and trust myself. But you're saying not to believe in yourself and not to trust in yourself. That's right. That's right. So it's going exactly against what the world says. But this is the reward. The reward is to enter eternal life, believe in the one who was sent by the one only true God and live according to his way. And you will not be abandoned. You will not become a loser, but you will become a winner. You will come to heaven and reign with him forever in eternity. How many of you want that? Hallelujah. It is the Holy Spirit who lets us know that. He was sent from the throne in the name of Yeshua. And he lets believers, believers, surrender willingly living on their own. To surrender before the king of kings. To surrender before the self-existent one. So what are we surrendering? First is surrendering my righteousness. Which is to confess. I have no righteousness of my own. I am not righteous. I cannot be righteous on my own. I cannot save myself, in other words. I cannot be saved on my own. The Pharisees, in the time of Yeshua and before his time, they thought otherwise. They thought that by keeping the law, they can save themselves. That they can be made righteous on their own. And they encourage other people to do the same. Keep the law, keep the law. So you will not be destroyed. The wrath of God will not come to us and we will be saved, we'll be saved, we'll be saved by my own doing. And that's exactly what religious people do today, to this day. It's by their own doing that they can save themselves. But that's not how it works. Just as Job showed us, we are to confess what? I am not righteous. The only righteous one is Yeshua. Yeshua alone is my righteousness. Say with me. What, are, what have I received from Yeshua? Of, of Yeshua, what have I gained? It is his precious blood. 
It is by his blood, Romans 5, 9, justified by his blood. I, by calling on his name, have received his blood. I, the spirit, I, the soul, have received the blood of Yeshua, which is spirit. So when I call on the name of Yeshua, it's the name of my redeemer and my savior. What enters me is his blood. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? So when I have the blood of Yeshua in my soul, in me, then I know that my only righteousness is the blood of Yeshua. It is by his blood alone that I've been redeemed. It is by his blood alone that I've been forgiven. It is by his blood alone I have been justified, made right with God. It is not by my doing, fasting as long as I can and reading the Bible and doing the good work that he commanded me. But in reality, as Paul himself wrote in Romans 7, 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. How many of you want to say amen to that? Amen. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And then he's in 21. I, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. The spirit that has been justified by the blood of Yeshua now as a believer, I want to do good. I want to do the work that God wants me to do, live according to his ways. But another law is at work. That's the law of the flesh that desires fleshly things and evil things and is constantly at war against each other. So what hope do I have? Even in the past, so in the past, I confess that was my life, living according to fleshly desires and worldly ways and following the carnal and lustful thought, uh, desires. But once receiving the blood of Yeshua and being baptized in his name, and I began I'm, my walk following him, doing his work and following his way, yet as I reflect even yesterday, yet last night, and as I reflect each and every day that I live, all I can say to myself is why am i still like this is this it after all these years like i'm still this and it could be so discouraging i want to live according to his way every morning i'm spending repenting and then i'm saying teach me how to live teach me your ways lead me to your righteousness and then i'm back to square one over and over and over again. But as, as Paul wrote, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death, the body of destruction. What a wretched man I am is the confession that I am giving as a result of finding myself in this hopelessness. That even after knowing the grace of God and knowing the word of God and the ways of the truth, I'm still struggling. What is wrong with me? But it is the way for me to come to that confession. I'm just a wretch saved by the grace of God. The only righteousness that I have is not my own, but it is the righteousness of Yeshua, his righteous blood. Hallelujah. That is the only righteousness I have, the righteous blood of Yeshua. So Christian is somebody who realizes that he cannot live on his own. If you call yourself a Christian, say amen. amen. Are you a Christian? Amen. A Christian is somebody who cannot, who confesses he cannot live on his own even for a day. Do you agree? 
Uh-oh, this is, the, this is the homework part. This is the homework part where you have to now compare notes. We're not talking about the people to thousands of years ago now. It's about you. It's about me. So what does it mean that you say, I cannot live even a day on my own? What does it mean? It means to cry out that the blood of Yeshua alone is my righteousness. The blood of Yeshua alone is my holiness. How many of you agree? That I have no righteousness of my own, but it's the righteousness of God. That is Yeshua. His blood alone is my righteousness. His blood alone is my holiness. Amen? First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.30-31 says, It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I have nothing to boast on my own because I've done nothing to deserve this. I cannot save myself. I cannot say I'm holy and I'm righteous because I realize the more I try to keep the Lord, the more I try hard to follow his way, the more I find myself to be the reality check. I am a sinful, sinful, sinful man. Saved only by the grace of God in Christ through his blood. So that is my confession. And on top of that, committing myself to cry out the name of Yeshua because the name of Yeshua alone is my wisdom. The name of Yeshua alone is my salvation. What do you say? The Lord's Day worship where we are gathered here right now is when we come by the blood of Yeshua. Coming into his presence is to say, my only right to be here to seek your face, Lord. Is your blood. Because you shed your precious blood for me. I can come into your holy presence. Not because I look pretty and clean in my religious suit. And looking like I'm I'm a good child of God. No. Because I've been in church for 20 years. No. It's because of the blood of Yeshua. It is because of his righteousness. That I can come here to seek his face. That's why we begin by the blood and you hear about the blood. We sing the blood and we praise the blood. We thank for the blood. Amen. And same goes with the assurance of salvation. If I were to breathe my last tonight. And that's what we were reminded. Pastor Ken was reminding us. And I'm, I remind us as well saying that even in a short prayer before we go to bed, we have to pray. Every one of us should be praying every night. If I were to breathe last tonight. Breathe my last tonight. Receive my soul. Because you don't know. How do you know you'll wake up and then you'll open your eyes and then get out of your bed next morning? You don't know that. I don't know that. Anything can happen. And the only right that I have for him to receive my soul, it's not because I was a good girl. Because I gave a lot of money to church or I gave a lot of my time or my talent to church. No. Not at all. The only right... That I can have to ask him to receive my soul. Is his blood alone. My right to call him father. Father. Yeshua. Help me. And expect answer to my prayer. And expect help to come. Is the blood of Yeshua. It's the blood of Yeshua alone. That I have that right. To call him father and seek his help. The only one who can save me from this place of death is Yeshua. So I as a Christian inspired by the Holy Spirit. I have to come to understanding. There's limit to what I can do on my own. 
When I surrender before him, the self-existent one, I'm surrendering to live on my own. That means every day that I'm breathing and moving, it has to be dependent on the self-existent one. That I depend on him. I trust him. He alone is the source of my strength. He alone is the source of confidence. He alone is the source of life for me. And I need to express that. How do we express that? So the, the limit that I have to be doing on my own. First is repentance. Repenting is doing on my own. Using my free will, I repent. I repent. What's the model of repentance? Is the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Who, who leaves home with the father's uh, inheritance for him. And just burns it. Just loses it. And just uses for all carnal worldly things. And then when famine hits, he loses all money. And then he's desperate. And this is in Luke 15. And in verse 17 it says, he came, he, he was suffering and hunger and, and, and de- destitute away from home. He came to his senses. He said to himself, my father's house, there are many rooms and there's food for the, his, even his servants. I know. I know. I will go back. And I will ask him to not receive me as his son, but make me one of his servants. And at least I will have my fill. I can survive. So he packed up his bags and he went back. So that moment of realizing what I'm doing is wrong. I ran away. I chose my way. And this is bringing me to downfall, leading me to destruction. But I want to live. So then I need to turn back and go back to God, the father. That's what repentance is. Do you understand? Do you understand? Repentance is that one thing that I can do. One of the things that I can do as a creature. On my own, I repent. And on my own, I need to humble myself. Humble myself and lower myself. Not be stiff-necked, but lowering myself on my own. So repentance is the act of humbling and laying down my ego, my righteousness. It is to be honest, not humana, humana. Yeshua, humana, 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 humana. This is not repentance. Certainly you don't want to be, when you're praying in church, as I said to you before, you don't want to put a megaphone and you'll be like, this is what I did yesterday and I thought of my brother this. It's not how you do it. However, you do need to do it so you yourself can hear what you're saying. You need to hear what you're saying. There's power. The Christian faith is a life of confession. Agreed. Christians confess, confess, confess. We begin with confession. Our life is about confession. Confessing our sins and confessing and then being baptized. This is all done in public. Confess, continue to confess. So what I'm confessing is that in my repentance, I need to confess loud enough for me to hear, for myself, my ears to hear what I'm saying. And it is to be honest Honest before the self-existent God. Who are you trying to fool? You can't fool me, but you cannot fool God. You can't fool your mama, but you cannot fool God. Don't you forget that. So I need to be honest and expose myself. Like expose, be totally vulnerable. Even though you don't even want to say it with your lips, you got to say it. Because when you do it, God shows his mercy. You acknowledge me. Even though you cannot see me, you acknowledge that I exist. And I want that faith. I love that faith and I will bless you for that. That's when God promises, I will forgive you and save you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. It is to lay down, surrender what is precious to me. That 
I have the right to do as a creature. So someone who says, I believe in the self-existent God is to humble myself willingly and repentant on my own and now willingly laying down what's precious to me. Time is precious to me. Money is precious to me. Talent is precious to me. My family is precious to me. My future is precious to me. My home is precious to me. But all these things that are precious, I need to lay down. And I do it willingly, not forcefully. Willingly, not grudgingly like a slave, but willingly. On the thing that we cannot do, must not do on our own as someone who believes in the self-existent one is to not leave the church on his own. Acts 13 shows the model of leaving church. Where the Holy Spirit is working, they laid hands on those who were being sent out. In the name of Yeshua, for his purpose, for his kingdom, the Holy Spirit appoints and then sends them out. And they were blessed on their way as they were sent off. But anyone who's not sent off and said, I'm... I'm not in agreement or I'm not really feeling this and I'm going to go. Or like, I really cannot stand these people. Or like, I I just got to do whatever I want to do. Whatever I want to do. That's that's how they leave. Ultimately, that's what it is. I want to do whatever I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. So when they leave, they are leaving their own position. Again, I'm not talking about this one or two person, but this is exactly what the Bible says. So that's the, the model that was said is the model by Yeshua, who is the God, the self is in God himself, who did not do anything on his own, did not speak on his own. That's in total contrast to the creature, the archangel, Satan, who did on his own and left on his own, and therefore the downfall, destruction. So we are to lead our members, to encourage them. And you can't just be like, oh, you're going to leave or see you later, goodbye. We've got to pray and hard and counsel and strengthen. In the end, what are we going to do? We can't force them and keep them. Ultimately, it's one's choice and they will find the consequence. They will face the consequence of their choice in the end. But until then, I have to still cling to them and encourage them. No, you cannot. We have to surrender. Let's pray together. Let's seek God's help and see what he says. And that uh, we have a change of heart. I have a change of heart. You have a change of heart. I have to make every effort. And it is to then make oneself a slave to serve one's brother. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, though I am free and belonging to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Say amen if you want to win souls. Do you want your regional group to win souls this year? (laughs) I want those Chinese noodles. I want want the gift card to get to take us to the Chinese restaurant. You're like, what? It's a, it's a prize, inside joke. Okay, so we have encouraged everyone to work hard, especially for all the regional groups to come together to gain souls, win souls, and grow. Say amen if you want to win souls. Then you have to make yourself a slave to your brothers. What? That's what surrendering is. A slave is someone who's nothing, who has surrendered his ego. Her ego, her pride, even though she has calculation, he has calculation, what is right, what is wrong. And this person is just totally out of control and blah, blah. I just got to go. Sometimes you have to. I mean, there are people you have to tell them what is right and wrong, but not in that spot in front of everyone else. Believe me, I repent. I made so many mistakes. I repent that many times. But it's, 
At least that's the ideal model. They are in the wrong. They need to be counseled. The ideal is to pull them aside and nicely and wisely with prayer, with love, with counsel. But not in the middle of everybody and embarrassing them. That won't work. That's why they fall away. They have not been won. If you want to win them, you got to have them be above you. Be above us. Again, it's not compromising the truth. It is not compromising the word of God. But it is to gain that soul, as Paul did, to become a slave to everyone. So who is a believer? Believer is not somebody who says he's a believer. A Christian is not a Christian who says he's a Christian. He has to be called Christian. Agreed. Others have to recognize that I'm a Christian. Others have to recognize that I'm a believer. And how does a believer live? His life has to show these attributes of God. The attributes of God this time, this morning, is that he is the self-existent one. He alone can do all things. He alone is who he is. And I am nothing without him. Therefore, I need to cling unto him. And every day on my knees, cry out his blood, cry out his name. His name, praying in his name is my, my solution, my salvation, and my wisdom. Even though the world may call me crazy, dumb, a loser. That is the way that God recognizes. And when the world perishes and and all the worldly people perish, but he will stand forever and ever and recognize that man to be a man of faith. So that passage we read in Luke 18 of the persistent widow, who was persisting, 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 and this judge was an unrighteous or unjust judge. Judge. I mean, how do you become a judge when you're unjust? But anyway, this guy had his job, but he was unjust. He was an evil judge, I guess. So he's not afraid of God. He's not afraid of anybody, but he was afraid of this woman. Oh, no, if I go into my office today, she's going to be there. She's going to be there. Not, please, please hear my case. My case this is unjust unfairness. I need, I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Take on this case and help me, help me. He was not afraid of anyone, but he was afraid of this woman. And finally, he had to hear her and help her. And what is Yeshua saying about that? And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Say amen if you want your prayers to be answered. Do you have prayers that have been answered already? Do you still have prayers that need to be answered? You should have said amen, amen, amen. Amen? How long do we need to pray for then? Do you have a deadline for God? God, I'm not going to eat for next week until you answer my prayer. Who are you giving the deadline to? The deadline? There's no deadline. We pray until answer. Until what? Just like the persistent widow. Persistent widow. She did not give up. So at the end of the passage, what Yeshua is saying is, however, however. You need to keep on praying. Do not give up. Continue. Continue until justice serve. Until you see the answer come. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? What is he saying in that context? He's talking about the persistent widow and asking and not giving up, not giving up. And he's saying, when the son of man returns, do you believe Yeshua is coming back? And he's coming back to look for faith. Do you agree? Look for faith. Because not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to be found to be in faith. That's what we've been hearing this, this year. Be believing. What is believing? What is faith? Right? We've been taking apart and then we've been understanding, hearing about this little by little. And right now, this morning, in the context of the month of prayer, what are we hearing? Faith 
that he seeks is the faith that acknowledges he alone is a self-existent one, which means praying. Praying. Praying is faith. What is faith? Not mumbling, bubble, bubble, humana, 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 to a, to, to unknown God, and, and, and as if this is sort of like luck, you know, draw the luck, or some, some sort of a char- lucky charm, just in case. No. You are praying to the one who's a self-existent one, and his name is Yeshua. And he will hear the prayer when it's done, asked by the one who has his own blood, his own righteous blood, the blood of Yeshua. Do you understand? The qualification of being answered is that I have the blood of Yeshua. I have to be a child of God for my heavenly father to hear me. Amen? And if I have no relationship, he doesn't hear me. But just simply by believing, calling on his name, I have received the blood of Yeshua. The blood of Yeshua is my righteousness to cover me, hide me, shield me of my many, many, many sins and my many, many, many flaws. So when I'm repenting and repenting and repenting, the wall that has gone up between me and God, the barrier that has gone between me and the holy God, the righteous God is now breaking down because I'm repenting and confessing and beating my chest and saying, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that again. I want to turn back. And then blessing that's been held back as a result of my sin now gushes, rushes back out into my life. How many of you want that? What the Lord seeks is faith and I need to be believing every single day. Every single day I must be on my knees. So if you're not praying, you're not in faith. So good luck to you. But if you want to be found in faith, as the Lord said, however, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? I was thinking about this today. I thought, how many people are going to make it to heaven? If the Lord said, how will he find faith on earth? That question, faith is going to be few. Few. And I don't care how many there will be. But I sure hope that I'm one of those. I want to be found in faith when the Lord comes back. And that means as I'm going through storms, I'm going through challenge, I'm going through suffering and hardship and temptation, even through this difficult time of struggle against myself and my pride, my ego, my plans not going the right way. People are mocking me and I'm being isolated. I feel like prayers are not being answered. I feel like I'm fighting against all so many curses in my life. It's exactly when you're supposed to surrender as God is pushing you and cornering you, cornering you, cornering you so you have left nothing to say but I am a sinner. I repent. All I've done is wrong. I am evil. This is before the only righteous God, the only holy one. And when I surrender and being totally honest is when God starts to answer and work in your life. So don't be fooled. You can put up a face and you could be hypocritical in front of church, in front of pastor, for everyone else. But God truly knows where you're at. And you need to confess that through prayer and your repentance. Willingly. Willingly. And that is how we can open up our eyes. I lift up my eyes. And where does my help come from? My help comes the one who is in heaven. The self-existent one. Who became like a creature and surrendered his precious life 
And then ultimately he was raised back to life. Now seated on the throne as the self-existing God. I want his help. I need his help. He alone, his blood alone is my righteousness. His name alone is my wisdom, my salvation. He alone can save me and pull me out of this place of death in that day. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes and examine ourselves. Where are you? Where are you? Where am I? Am I before the self-existing God? Confessing to him what I am. That I am nothing. I cannot live a day, even a day without you. I am so sorry that I fool myself thinking that I can. Without depending on him and trusting him as my only strength. I thought I was going well. I thought my way was good. But I realized it is not. Before it's too late. Please stop me in my way. Stop me in my tracks. Do corner me. Let me go through the storms. So that I can confess that I am not righteous. I cannot live on my own. I cannot do on my own. I need you. I need you. Let's lift up our hands and surrender before the only self-existing God. And his name is Yeshua. Call on his name, Yeshua.